Have you ever wondered why someone who gets an increase in their power or influence seems to get a little too big for their britches and become a terrible person? In today's episode, I'd like to see what God's Word has to say about that. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. In 1887, John Acton wrote the famous quote of power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. A lot of us are pretty familiar with that quote, and even if not, we're very familiar with the concept. Whether it's in an office setting with someone who gets promoted to a position of more power or leadership, or even in the bigger world where we have celebrities who on stage or in interviews seem to be great people, but when you hear about how they behave behind closed doors, how they actually treat people, very few people with any kind of power tend to be great human beings. They tend to be awful, selfish, mean, cruel. And when we see that, we often want to think that because they got power, that somehow corrupted them. It turned them. It's like the one ring in Lord of the Rings where it exerts this evil influence and turns good hearts towards bad. And ultimately, that's what I want to talk about in today's episode is when we get power, are we at risk of that power corrupting us? Or when we understand it through a biblical worldview, is there something more going on that can give us an even better insight into why people in positions of power tend to use that power for themselves and for evil? I'd like to start with James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, which says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Now, as followers of Christ, whenever we sin, we often want to look back and ask ourselves why. Why did I do that again? Why did I get angry and yell at my kids? Why did I lie? Why did I steal? Why did I spend money foolishly? Why did I visit that website? And a lot of times what we want to do is shift the blame to something else. A lot of people want to blame Satan and say, oh, he tempted me. He whispered lies to me. I couldn't help it. Other people may want to blame their upbringing and say, well, that's just who I am. That's how I was raised. That's how I was born and I can't help it. As people, as prideful human beings, we want to do anything we can to basically avoid the fact that we are not good people. We are not the heroes of our story. And so we'll find all kinds of ways to shift blame and to make it someone else's fault or maybe not as much of our fault as it might truly be. But as we see in this passage in James, it says, Each one is tempted, not when Satan comes calling, not when their biology or their history gets the best of them. Instead, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or his own desires. And so then when lust conceives, in other words, when lust is allowed to grow, when that desire, that thing that we want, is allowed to fester, that leads to sin. And then, as we all know, that sin inevitably is going to lead towards death. 
But what I want to really focus on is the reality that when we have desires and we entertain those desires, we let them sit in our minds, we let them grow in our hearts, inevitably it's going to lead us towards sin. And so we see here the problem is not power. It's not any external force or influence in our lives. The reason that we sin is because of us. It's because of our desires. It's because we, because we still have that old nature, that sin nature, aren't always going to want the right things. We're not always going to desire to do things to please God and to glorify him. A lot of times, if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of what we do is very self-serving. It's very idolatrous. We want to worship and serve ourselves and make us lifted up instead of the God of the universe. And so whenever we're desiring something, we go into sin because we believe that by taking part in this sin, even though we know it's destructive, even though we know it's going to hurt us and there's going to be a great cost to pay, and even though we know minutes or hours later we're going to be running to the cross in repentance, in that moment when that desire grows, when we are focused on it, when we are thinking that it will bring us joy or satisfaction or contentment or relief or salvation from our suffering or our boredom or whatever, in that moment, no matter how bad we know that sin is, we believe that it will give us something good. We believe that the risk, the pain, the future payment for it is going to be worth it because we want to enjoy it now in this moment. And so we sin, we put another crime on the cross, and we don't do it because someone made us or because we couldn't help it. We do it because of our own desires leading us into sin. Now, as we go on, that's kind of the foundation for this discussion. But as we go on, remember that I'm building towards how this affects what power seems to do to people. So a lot of this episode is going to be talking about why do we sin? Why do we love sin? But ultimately, what I'm building towards is knowing what we do about sin, knowing what we do about our sin nature. What is it about power that seems to make people fall deeper into sin and to be even worse people than they would be if they weren't famous or if they weren't powerful? So that being said, let's see what Christ has to say about what it is that leads us towards evil deeds or evil thoughts, or ultimately, what is it that leads us towards sin? In Luke 6, verses 43 to 45, he said, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So again, we see here, it's not power corrupting someone. When we do evil, when anyone does evil, it's not because they're a good person that's gone astray. It's because they are an evil, wicked, sinful person basically living out what is already deep inside of them. You know, Christ said that a tree is known by what it bears. If you see a tree growing oranges, you know instinctively that is an orange tree. It's not a pine tree that somehow popped oranges out of it. Whatever fruit, whatever is created by a tree, we know that that's the kind of tree it is. And human beings are the exact same way. Whatever it is that we are producing in our lives is a sign of what's deep inside of us. 
And so when we think about this just in terms of what power does to us, power and popularity and fame and wealth, these things don't make us evil. Instead, they give us license and the ability to basically uncover more of what's already deep inside of us. So these celebrities who treat staff or other celebrities like garbage, it's not because they're powerful and they've somehow become a terrible person. It's because ultimately they're already a terrible person. And having power, having influence allows them to live out what is already deep inside because they don't have as much restrictions as we do. Because we, as regular folk, can't just go around being nasty and cruel to people because there's going to be ramifications. There's going to be a payment to be made. But the more power you have, the less restrictions are on you. And that makes me think of something that uh, my pastor would often say growing up, is he would say, if you were honest and if you could get away with one sin for a day, if you could just commit one sin and never get caught, what would it be? And now, obviously, the right answer is, oh, well, I would never want to sin. I would never want to give in. But if we're honest, there are there is something that we would like to do. There's some kind of lifestyle or behavior that we'd like to just get away with and have no one challenge us and have it have no lasting ramifications for us. And in a way, that's what power does to us, is it allows us to get away with it. It allows us to do things and have little to no consequences. And so all of us are equally prone towards sin. All of us are equally capable of being horrible and nasty. The only real difference is, is whether we are an everyday person who can only have little dips into sin or someone who has the ability and authority and freedom to fully immerse themselves into that sin. But ultimately, it's all coming from that same heart. And I say that because we can see in Romans the reality that as human beings, we aren't just good people who mess up. We aren't people who are sinners because they sin. Instead, we see that we sin because we are sinners. We are born sinful. We are born wanting to be enemies of God, wanting to serve ourselves and seek our own way. And so Romans 3, verses 9 through 12 say, As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. And then as you go farther, in verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so really understanding that, understanding just how depraved and corrupt we all are, that's when we realize that when we give into sin and we think about why, why did I sin? Why did I get angry? Why did I do that thing I swore I would never do again? If we make excuses, if we blame it on power, if we blame it on our upbringing or anything else outside of us, if we focus on anything other than just how much we truly love sin, then what we ultimately do is we compromise the power and necessity of the gospel. We lessen our need for Jesus Christ, not only in salvation, but every single day of our lives. And I say that because whenever we say, oh, I wouldn't have sinned if only Satan hadn't tempted me, or I wouldn't have gotten angry if only my kids hadn't pushed me, or I wouldn't cheat on my husband or my wife if only they were more attractive, or if only they paid more attention to me, or if only they did this or that. Whenever we say, I wouldn't have sinned except for something else outside of me, then what we really say is, I am basically a good person. 
I would never sin if only it wasn't for all these other things making me do it. It's not my fault. I'm a victim. That is how we think. That is how we want to think because that makes our sin less horrible. It removes the reality of just how wicked and corrupt and broken we are. But when we do that, what we also do is we remove just how much we needed Christ to come and live a perfect life in our place and to take on the punishment of all of our sins, all those moments that we love ourselves more than we love God. Whenever we lose sight of just how broken we are and how perfect our God is, then we're going to have no victory over sin. We're going to have no joy in holiness and righteousness because we're just going to sit here twiddling our thumbs and constantly saying, woe is me, it's not my fault, if only this or that. But on the flip side, if we realize how corrupt we are, how much we love sin, how depraved we truly are, and how incapable we are of doing any good on our own, then the reality of who Christ is becomes so much bigger and brighter to us because we realize that any good that we do is through Christ. Any pleasing of God is done by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is not us. We are not conjuring good. We do not impress God in any way, shape, or form. Whenever we do good, we can truly say glory to God because there is no glory to us. There's no possible way that we can ever take credit for being good people. And as Christians, we actually have the unique ability to actually do good because before Christ, maybe we don't realize this or maybe we don't understand what our life was like and what our hearts were like before Christ, but Before he saved us, before we were given the Holy Spirit in our lives, all we could do was sin. All we could do was love the things of the world. And so I want to talk about two passages where we see this. The first is in Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, which says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is freed from sin. And so a very quick commentary on that is to say that before Christ, before he died on the cross, we were slaves to sin. We could only obey one thing. We only had one master, and that master was sin. You know, a lot of people, when they think about salvation and following Christ, they think, oh, I have to give up my freedoms. I have to suffer. I have to take less of life in order to follow Christ. And that's, you know, that same mentality of the rich young ruler, and that's the same mentality that if you talk to people about Christ— A lot of people feel that, that somehow following Christ is a burden. It removes our freedoms. It makes us bound to something lesser instead of us getting to be ourselves. But if we believe that God's word is true, then Romans chapter 6 is very clear that before Christ, we were not free. We were actually slaves to sin. We had to obey sin. We had to do the will of sin. And of course, sin isn't this kind of cosmic entity or anything as though, you know, God and some darkness are battling it out. But ultimately, we were slaves to any desire apart from God. The only thing we could do was to be anti-God, to be his enemies. Every action, every thought that we were capable of had to put us against him because we had no desire to please him. Even doing good wasn't done for his glory. It was done to make us feel better, to make us feel impressive, to make us feel like good people. And now again, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, 
How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles to which you want to be enslaved all over again? So here, Paul is talking to some of the Christians in the Church of Galatia who came out of paganism and worshiping you know, spirits and elements and, and false gods and things like that. And in this church, they are wanting to submit themselves to legalism. They are wanting to go back to following the law. And Paul basically here is saying, you know, why would you be set free from this life of pursuing sinful things and trying to you know, earn your own salvation when instead Christ has set you free? You know, and taken together, we realize that when we say that we are set free from sin, it's not that we are set free from ever having to sin or from the consequences of our sin necessarily. Of course, Christ took the consequences of our sin. But you know, as Christians, we don't just get to go around now and just do whatever we want and say, oh, I've got a free pass. But instead, we find ourselves at a very interesting crossroads with every moment of our lives. Before Christ, we were on a one-way road. Sin, sin, sin. That's all we could do. That's all we could love. But through Christ now, through his death on the cross, he set us free from being shackled to that, that deadness in ourselves, to that love of sin, to that hatred of God in our thoughts and in our actions. You know, he set us free from our punishment for sin, but he also set us free from our requirement to sin, to obey our sin nature. And in that moment, Christ lifted the blinders from our eyes. He showed us the reality of the world, of the universe, of who we are as sinners and who God is as a perfect and holy being. And so when we cried out to Christ for salvation, because we realized that we didn't just need his help, we needed him fully, because we realized how incapable we were of doing any good, of doing anything to save ourselves. When that happened, Christ created a basically a new person inside of us. So instead of us having to constantly obey that old person, that sin nature, he now gives us another option. And so even though today on this side of eternity, where we are still kind of basically stuck in this sinful world, still wanting to follow the desires of our flesh and to kind of go along with what the world says is good. And even though at times, and perhaps a lot more than we may be proud to admit, we still want to surrender ourselves to that slavery of sin, we also see that Christ gives us another option. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, which says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so here is where this discussion really matters at a very basic level. It can be tempting to think that, you know, discussions about how depraved and broken and sinful we are is just something to worry about when we're really mature Christians, when we're kind of done sinning or when, you know, we we're fully ready for righteousness and holiness. But the ultimate reality is that from the day of our salvation, we need to really understand the life that we now get to live in Jesus Christ, not just focusing on the eternity to come, which of course we are so looking forward to, but instead today, now, what is my life supposed to look like in Jesus Christ? And here in this Ephesians passage, we see that we have a choice. We can either go back and and submit ourselves to the shackles of sin and to become slaves to that master that promised us salvation, promised us long-lasting happiness and joy and satisfaction, but ultimately brought us death and sorrow and misery. 
you know, we can keep going back to those idols, those things that the world tells us is going to make us happy, whether it's pursuing a relationship, whether it's working to earn more money, whether it's buying that thing on Amazon that we are convinced is finally going to make us happy. Whatever it is that we are tempted towards, we can keep pursuing that. We can keep trying to find happiness in the same ways we did before Christ and in the same ways that the people of the world do. Or we can do what Ephesians says. We can instead put on our new self. We can put on that new nature, that ability to love God, to find ultimate satisfaction in the only being in the universe that can truly and unfailingly satisfy us. But we have to realize that this isn't just talking about a one-time thing where we stop sinning and just become Christians. It's not that we put on Christ one time and then we're done. Putting on Christ and, in exchange, putting off our old nature is a daily thing that we have to do. It's a moment-by-moment thing we have to do. And so at a practical level, what this looks like is when we see a sin in front of us, you know, let's take something a lot of us, I'm sure, struggle with, and that is the desire to just buy stuff. When we are tempted to use our money foolishly, when we think that, oh, if I buy this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied. What we're often tempted to do is just to correct our behavior. We're tempted to, you know, turn off the computer or walk away or, you know, distract ourselves with something. We're tempted to do everything we can to hide from that desire to sin. And, you know, there's definitely merit in that. But if we truly want to deal with our sin, whatever that sin is, you know, overspending, lust, lying, anger, whatever it is that we are tempted towards, instead of desiring that thing, what we instead need to do is to put that off and put something on to replace it. And as God's words tells us, what we need to put on is a desire for Christ, ultimately. So instead of thinking, oh, you know, I would be happy if I could just, you know, buy that new outfit or buy that new device or have that new car. Instead, we need to analyze and say, what is it that I'm desiring? What is it that I'm hoping to get out of it? Am I desiring to serve Christ with this purchase? Am I desiring to honor him and what I'm wanting to buy? Am I finding my ultimate satisfaction and contentment in him? And so if we want to be freed from the desires of our old self, at least to the degree that we aren't constantly obeying our sin nature, then what we need to do is not be better people, not be stronger, or not even just act better. Instead, we need to realize how depraved we are, how much we love sin, and then say, okay, I see who I am, and I don't want to be this person, so I'm, I want to put off those desires for sin, for comfort, for satisfaction, for entertainment, for whatever, and instead I want to put on Christ and finding my desires, my satisfaction, my contentment in him and him alone. Because when it comes right down to it, as we saw in that first passage we looked at in James about how it's our desires that lead us into sin. It's the things that we focus on, the things that we are convinced will make us happy and be worth it. It's those things that lead us into sin. And ultimately what that is, is it's a matter of us wanting to follow our sinful heart versus a heart that's been redeemed by Jesus Christ and is being changed and grown and matured by the Holy Spirit in our lives so that ultimately we can glorify the Father and love him and serve him more. And where this conversation really gets wrapped up in is in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so for us everyday 
day-to-day Christians, we've got to realize that we are so tempted towards sin. We are so prone towards giving into that sin nature, towards putting off Christ in order to put on the desires of the world and the desires of the flesh. But we don't have to live that life. Instead, we can put on Jesus Christ. We can seek to serve and love him and find ultimate satisfaction in him so that whether we have a nice car or a junker, we can still love Christ equally because those things are so in the background of where our hearts truly are. When we're tempted to be angry at our spouse or our children or someone at work, we can instead stop being worried about how they offend us, how they don't behave or think or act in a way that we desire or we think we deserve. And instead, we can focus on Christ and say, I am called to love my family. I'm called to love my neighbor. I'm called to love my enemy. And because I desire to love Jesus Christ, because I want to be more like him, I'm going to set aside my own desire to be offended for me or to yell or to feel better about hurting someone else. And instead, I'm going to act in a way that brings glory to Christ because I am ultimately seeking to be like Christ. Because as Christians, that's ultimately what we're aiming at, right? Is not just a desire to be better people, but a desire to realize that we as people are not good. And instead, we need Christ. We need to become more and more like him because that is the only source of salvation for us. And from there, it's our only source of joy and contentment and satisfaction in this world and in eternity to come. So now understanding that, let's go back to the original point of this episode. Why does power seem to corrupt people? Why does it seem that when someone is given some kind of celebrity status, the ability to have influence or authority over others, why is it that they seem to always be horrible people and things always come out where they are involved in the most disgusting, horrendous, corrupt, or violent crimes imaginable. Understanding the heart like we do, realizing what God's word has to say about who we truly are, how broken and vile we really are when left to our own devices, we realize that even the greatest atrocities in history happened because a corrupt, sinful person was given the ability to just be themselves. And so whenever we're looking at, you know, why did a Christian leader, someone who started off their ministry really wanting to love and pursue God, wanting to bring glory to Christ and serve him, how did they go astray? How did they get so wrapped up in whatever it is that they got wrapped up in? Well, we can realize that it's probably because they were allowed to. They had no safeguards stopping them from diving deeper into sin than they ever could have before. And so they did. Now, obviously there's more to it, and it's obviously not just an instant thing. It's a long process of making compromises, of slowly letting, as James tells us, slowly letting our desires fester. When a leader is able to not just dwell on their desires, but actually have those desires able to be lived out, for that sin to be able to be acted on, and not just in little ways where they have to be very careful, but over time, able to get away with more and more sin and therefore let their desires grow more and more towards that sin. In a way, it should almost be no surprise to us that people with power become seemingly more corrupted, but ultimately what we see is people with power just reveal more and more how corrupted they are. And so... I see two takeaways from this. On a practical level, we need to realize that 
just as human beings, we've got to be so very careful with where we're putting our hope and our trust. And in every moment of our lives, we need to realize that our actions aren't just made neutrally. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can either act and think and work towards things that are in line with our old sin nature and in ways that basically make us slaves to sin again, or we can act and think in ways that show that we are slaves to Christ, that we have been given that new self and that we are walking in line with our new nature instead of the old one, that we are putting on Christ and putting off our sinful desires, putting off our sinful selves. So for all of us, that is an important thing for us to realize because any time that we are dwelling on sin, oftentimes the only thing that stops us isn't our desire not to love sin, but instead our fear or our ultimate inability to indulge in that sin because of its consequences. So if we are, you know, speaking very practically to guys, if we are constantly looking at other women or thinking, oh, you know, I'd be happier if my wife just looked like this, then what's stopping us from cheating on our spouse isn't that we are just great husbands or that we are good, devoted family men. What's ultimately going to be stopping us is simply that we don't have the opportunity or the power to live out our sinful desires. And so that's why through Christ, we as men, and especially we as husbands, we need to find satisfaction in Christ first, and through that, learn how to love our wives appropriately and rightly. You know, and married women, same for you, just switched around. And any single folk out there, same for you. If your desires are, I would be happy if only I had a husband or if only I had a wife. If that's where your satisfaction is becoming, then that's going to become an idol in your heart, and you're going to basically give in to that desire. You're going to pursue that as soon as you can, because the only thing that's stopping you isn't a love for Christ and a complete satisfaction in Him, but the lack of opportunity or a fear of making the wrong choice. And so whether it's marriage, whether it's singleness, whether it's being an employee or a friend or whatever part of life we find ourselves in, we have to realize that our ultimate satisfaction has to be in Christ first, that, that we need to not desire the things of the world and not buy into the lies of what will make us happy, what will make us satisfied, and instead find pure and ultimate and total satisfaction in Christ first, letting that be the lens through which we view everything else in this world. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is that understanding our corrupt hearts as we do we need to love our leaders enough, ultimately, to want them to have safeguards in place. Because we realize that it's not power that makes them evil, but it's power that can allow them to act on their evil desires. If they are allowing themselves to dwell on sin and to find ways to satisfy it and to fulfill it. And so, whether you're you know, a huge big-name Christian celebrity, or a pastor of a church, or even just in a very small leadership role, whether it's at work or at church or what have you, and even in the home, you know, with kids, whatever measure of power and authority we are given, we have to be so careful that we aren't allowing that power to just remove our inhibitions towards sin, but instead that we are perhaps even being on extra guard because we know that the more power we have, then the more power we have to sin. And I said I have two things, but there's actually three. A third takeaway is to realize that 
our leaders, Christian celebrities, people in authority, these Christians that we look up to, whether they are just local people at your church, whether they are a big-name celebrity that travels the world, whoever they are, it's important to realize that they are just as prone to sin as we are. So while, yes, we want them to have more safeguards in place in order to kind of counterbalance that temptation towards giving in to sin without any barriers, without any repercussions, at the same time, we need to realize that we can't just give them more authority or look up to them in such a way to think that they are somehow above where we are. They might be more mature than us. They may have gone farther in their walk with Christ to where the things that we struggle with are things that God has brought them past. But ultimately, we are all broken, we are all sinful, and we are all in daily, constant need of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, you know, through this episode, through reading God's Word, I hope that we realize that it's not power that corrupts pure hearts, but that without an abundance of caution, without being so careful and so in line with the Spirit and constantly following Christ, then us having the power to indulge in more sin, if our hearts are not with God, then ultimately that's going to lead us to the act of indulging in more sin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. This ministry is financially supported by my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith where you can pledge to support this ministry for any amount of money every month. Now, I hope this episode helps you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.